Welcome to episode 204 of A Brief Chat. I'm Jason Crane. This is the first episode of the Revived series. I stopped making A Brief Chat on September 1st last year when I decided to move into a van and launch Vanarchism, which is the project that has chronicled my travels across the United States. Vanarchism is still going strong, but earlier this year, I retired from the Jazz Session, the podcast that I've been hosting for the last 14 years. I turned that over to somebody else and decided to bring back a brief chat with a slightly different mandate than it had before. This time around, it's going to be a weekly show about half an hour, 40 minutes long, somewhere in there. The whole idea of it is everybody, one person at a time. In other words, each week I will talk to anybody I want about whatever it is they're into. Really, the only group that's excluded from that is jazz musicians talking about jazz, although I've already booked a jazz musician to talk about Green Lantern. The only reason for that is because, obviously, the other show that I was running for all those years is still going, and I don't want to step on uh, the new host's toes by interviewing jazz musicians myself. And also, all things being equal, I'm I'm done interviewing jazz musicians, at least for the foreseeable future, after having done it for 20 years. So... Anybody I want about anything they're into, everybody, one person at a time, that's the idea. You can support this show rather than create a separate Patreon for a brief chat, given that there's already a pretty robust one for Vanarchism, my uh, travel essays and videos and such. I decided just to fold both Patreons into one place, uh, which is the world of Jason Crane. So you can go to patreon.com slash worldofjc. Patreon.com slash World of JC, obviously my initials, Jason Crane. And once there, you'll find four tiers, uh, one, five, ten, and fifty dollars a month, and you get different stuff for each one, but you get stuff for both a brief chat and vanarchism at every level. And if I create new projects in the future, you'll get stuff for those too. I think it's a better system than the one I used to use, where every time I would create a new show, I would create a new Patreon. And if I'm being totally honest, I stole this idea from the folks at Rogue Dialogue, who make really good fiction podcasts, and who have a single Patreon that covers all of their shows, which I think is a great, great idea. So head over to patreon.com slash worldofjc, check that out, become a member if you would like to, and if you're already a member because of Vatarchism, hello and thank you. And without any further ado, let's jump into this week's episode, which features poet and publisher and all-around cool human Jesse Lynn McMains. Jesse Lynn McMains, welcome to A Brief Chat. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you here. In fact, this is the return of this show after a hiatus when I kind of focused my efforts on um, documenting my van journeys and my jazz podcast, which I've now given to somebody else. Um, and you came across the radar um, via the fine folks at uh, Hello America Stereo Cassette, where um, we both have appeared and you have a, a full cassette out, uh, which we'll talk about. Uh, and so that seemed like an awesome reason to bring this podcast back. And you seem, uh, from everything I've read and listened to, like a perfect person to kind of set the mood for some of what this podcast is going to be about going forward. Um, the most recent thing, although there's there's kind of some close ties for this, but the most recent thing uh, that I guess we'll start talking about is a full-length cassette called Self-Portrait with Ghosts and Trains that came out on Hello America. And I guess I want to start um, 
before we talk specifically about that, by saying something about what really appeals to me about your work, which I've I've read and listened to a lot of now, and that is that you seem very unashamed in your work. And I notice how much in our culture we seem fueled by shame, and I'm not suggesting that you don't feel shame or that it doesn't factor in, but you just talk very honestly and openly in a way that I find very refreshing. And I'm curious if that resonates with you at all. You know, it, it's funny. I actually, I definitely, you know, do feel shame sometimes because it is, I mean, that is the kind of culture we live in. And just, you know, I think no matter what anyone's personal religious background or anything is, you're going to get some of that just living in this society. But I've, I mean, I've been doing, you know, I started writing zines at a very young age. So I've been, you know, writing about my own life and, you know, other stuff for a long time. And I find that, I guess, being open in my, in my writing and, you know, other kind of work is, um, it's a good antidote to those feelings. And in a sense, I mean, not that I really think anyone's going to blackmail me, but, um, in a sense, it's like, you can't, no one can hold, no one can make me feel ashamed of something if I'm open about it to begin with, you know, if it's not a secret, no one can use that against me. When I started like writing zines and stuff was a time in my life when I was made fun of a lot, you know, middle school. I mean, it's a train wreck for everyone, I think. And, you know, people called me a lot of different names, slurs, whatever. And uh, I, I began to sort of wear those like badges of pride. And I guess my writing, a lot of it sort of bounces off of that. Like if I just am open and if I call myself these names, I mean, not literally, but yeah, if I just accept that this is me and I tell you that this is me, then you can't come back and use it against me. It's so interesting to hear you say that because I, as a person who has also lived an incredibly public life as both a writer and on the radio and in podcasts and stuff, I have often felt that same way that like, I am, I am already setting the narrative. Like I'm, I'm going to tell you about my life. And then if you have a negative reaction to that, that's fine. That's your business, but it's not going to be because you've been digging around and finding stuff out. It's just going to be because you're reacting in your own way to stuff I've already told you. Um, exactly. So you said you started in middle school to write zines, which m- makes me feel like I'm <laughs> I was way, way behind the times. <laughs> Tell me how that even is is true. Tell me how that even came to be, how that entered your life at that at that time. Um, I just sort of I mean, you know, I started writing zines yeah, when I was 12. Um, I, I had kind of been aware of them since I was around 10, just because it was, you know, the early nineties and it seemed like, I guess the the places I lived, um, there were, zines were just around and I got into, you know, alternative music and, you know, and then punk, um, and that kind of stuff and Riot Girl and all these things, um, like kind of spiraled out of it. And so zine culture was very much a part of that as well. So I just, you know, I knew about them and I always was, I was one of those kids that always like, was like, I'm going to be a writer, you know? So, um, when it, it kind of made perfect sense to me that I could, um, you know, just write whatever I wanted and put it out into the world because I'd seen other people doing it. 
And also I had experiences around that same time when I first started doing zines with when I was getting stuff published in like the school literary magazine, there was this whole thing where I wrote this short story that horrified some of the adults at school. And they were, they thought that I, they thought that I was on drugs and I had never, you know, taken a drug in my life at that point. Um, but they didn't believe that someone my age could have come up with it without being, you know, so that was another reason that I kind of stuck with the, um, you know, the sort of DIY indie thing, because there was less a chance of getting, you know, in trouble for it or getting, you know, concerned adults. I mean, I did have issues with that later on, but you know, it was, I was more free to basically just, you know, write whatever I wanted. So in the early nineties, were you like handwriting, word processing, then going to Kinko's or like, what was zine production like for you as a 12 year old in the Um, early nineties? Um, it was, I, I did like very, for the first, I would say for the first like three years I did zines. I just, um, I used, uh, yeah, my, you know, I had access to a computer because my, my dad had one in his home office for his job. And so I was able to use it. And so I did a lot of, you know, just stuff on like the, you know, word processing software. And I mean, my first three years of first two or three years of zines were kind of, you know, stuff I won't share. Not, not because I'm ashamed, but because it was like, a lot of terrible clip art, you know, I mean, and winding, <laughs> um, it, like that was the illustrations. Uh, and I basically just would type it out and print like a handful of copies, you know, for friends. It wasn't until I think like 97, early 97, when I started doing more of the like cut and paste, you know, stuff that, that, looked more like a, a real zine and then I started going to like I don't know Office Max or one of those type places we didn't have a Kinko's in my town at that time so first of all I love everything about that and um, there are sometimes when I hear people talk about their childhood lives and think man I I would love another shot at my childhood but most of the time I'm super glad that I don't have to take another shot at my childhood for because of everything else that comes with it but it does <laughs> I do wish I was doing cool shit like you were doing but you said something to me that I really liked which was that uh, and I'm paraphrasing but something to the effect of that you had fallen in love with Jack Kerouac but never fallen back out of love and as someone who had that a similar experience I do feel like there is some amount of pressure as we and I'm saying this in huge scare quotes mature as writers that like, for example, we put away things like the beats and the kinds of things that appeal to teens who are realizing there's, uh, there are other possibilities to life besides the ones that our parents expect of us. And so I'd love to hear more about that for you. When, when you got introduced, um, to either Kerouac in particular or that kind of writing in general and, and what about it continues to appeal to you as you have matured into life. Yeah, I, I I first discovered the beats probably around um I think in like 1997. I mean, I might have been marginally aware of them before that, but you know, didn't really explore any of it. And I, I think my introduction came, you know, through bands and musicians that I liked. Ta- you know, I mean, I was really 
that was the same time I got really into the clash and, you know, they had recorded a, a song with Alan Ginsberg on combat rock. And, and that was also the year that Alan Ginsberg died. It was a really weird thing. Like I just got into his stuff and the other beats, like the, you know, the year he died. So also like there were other, you know, nineties, you know, I mean, still active in the nineties musicians. Like, um, you know, I knew that like, say Sonic Youth was um, really influenced by like Burroughs and, you know, so I just sort of heard people talking about them and decided to check it out. And I happened to be, I was, um, I was on vacation in um, this little um, door County is in the peninsula of Wisconsin. It's, um, it's basically like, runs the length of the peninsula and it's all these little towns and it's, you know, a, a tourist area, but we've been going up there since I was 13 and there was a bookstore up there. Um, and I happened to, you know, I was bored one day, went to the bookstore and decided to just buy a copy of on the road and read it over the course of, of the vacation. And I was just completely like, yeah, that, you know, when I, I was 15, so some of it was, at the time was definitely the like, yes, I want to do this too and travel around and, uh, you know, have, um, you know, all these adventures and stuff. There, There's definitely stuff, both, um, you know, misogyny and also racism of the beats that I didn't get when I first read it, you know, and I think it's fine to, I, you know, I'm obviously able to be like critical of aspects of, Kerouac and the others, but I, I think it's different to be able to look at someone's work and say, "Well, these parts are mm, not great," and another to just like dismiss them wholeheartedly and say, "Well, none of it's worth anything because." But um, no, I've definitely gotten uh, flack for it too. There's, I feel like there's the one camp that's just talking more about you know, the writing style and maybe it's not their thing and that's fine. But I feel like, you know, a lot of people think that if Kerouac is still your favorite or one of your favorites as you get older, um, cause I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm 39. So, you know, I'll be 40 later this year. Um, is that the, that you aren't, a lot of people sort of act like you're, you're obviously not very well read you know, because if you had read anything that was better writing than this, then you wouldn't be into his stuff anymore, which obviously they don't see what, what I find in his writing. Um, and then I, I've gotten flack from, uh, you know, women and female identified people, um, you know, just for the same reason. I'm not, obviously, because I'm not a guy, I don't get the flack of people necessarily thinking I'm you know, misogynist, but I have had people in the past say, oh, like, how, how can you call yourself a feminist and read this guy? You know, he treated women horribly and all this stuff. And, um, when I first read him, I mean, when I first read him, I was identifying with him and the, the male characters. I wasn't identifying with the women in these stories like at all. So even though as I got older, I could see, okay, you know, some of the way they talked about women and treated women was obviously terrible. You know, I still couldn't dismiss any of it because I had sort of grown up feeling like I was Kerouac, you know, like not, you know, I wasn't one of the like women that he left behind or that Dean left behind or Neil, you know, 
and and also I think it's just strange to say, oh, well, you know, obviously you can't be a feminist or you can't be this and that if you like these writers or whoever from the past, because also they're judging it from our viewpoint now. And that's another thing uh, I feel with a lot of stuff. I mean, I understand everyone has a line where like, there are certain things that I'm not, you know, certain people, I just can't appreciate. I can't separate art from artists, you know, but I read this interesting essay. Um, it's from a few years ago and I, you know, I can't remember the name of the essay or the writer, but I read it the other month where, you know, the guy was talking about, you know, I think people make the mistake of when we read something that was written, you know, however many years ago, we act like the, the writer is visiting us in our time now and judging them based on our cultural norms and, and, you know, mores and everything. It, but he said, it's really reading a book from the past is more like we're visiting them in their time. And so we'd gain a lot more from thinking of it that way. I mean, sure. We can still look and say, well, these things don't fly anymore and maybe they shouldn't even have then, but then it's easier to see the ways in which they were progressive for the time. This is a, a you know an eternal question people will always be dealing with about separating the art and the artist, and it's one I struggle with too. There are some people whose work I just can't get into anymore because of revelations about them. But I also know that if I removed from my collection of books and records all the ones that were made by people that we now consider problematic, I'd have nothing left to read or listen to. And, or, you know, very few things left to, to read or listen to. And, you know, then sometimes I do come down on the side of, like, people say, uh, you know, I think about, like, the way my grandparents talked, and I think, well, there definitely were people at that time who knew it wasn't cool for them to use the words that they use, and so they easily could have known, too. But so that's this is a little too facile sometimes. And, you know, anyway, we don't have to legislate the entire art artist conversation right now. Um, I just was kind of <laughs> curious about it as it related to, you know, to you and to and to Kerouac in particular, um, because he still pops up and, you know, in your work, I mean, uh, just a couple articles ago, uh, and I haven't mentioned yet, but you're the writer in residence of Racine, Wisconsin from July through December of this year when we're talking 2021. You were previously the poet laureate of the same town. Um, and I mean, you you wrote a piece about Kerouac because Kerouac mentioned the town in some writing. And, um, and then when I think about self-portrait with ghosts and trains, which we are now after a, a long circle that I've created coming, coming back to the, the cassette from Hello America, so much of that feels to me like it's informed by that kind of beat writing, but um, but informed by not not derivative of because it still feels very modern. In fact, I kind of feel like your writing is what we might have expected from, you know, Kerouac or De Prima or um, maybe to a lesser degree Ginsburg or, some, you know, some of those folks, if if the beats had happened right now, because your work is informed by a lot of the things that we were just talking about that, you know, stuff that we find problematic in their writing doesn't generally appear in your writing because you're a person of this time and, uh, you know, a, a, a more enlightened person of, of this time that we're in now. 
But there's still a clear lineage with that kind of writing. And I think for me, the thing that is the greatest hallmark of that, um, particularly on uh, Self-Portrait with Ghosts and Trains, is how much your writing includes. Like where some poets, um, and I think I might be one of these, are often about paring down and paring down and paring down. Uh, for me, the thing I love about your work is that you're about, at least to me, putting in and putting in and putting in. Like, I'm going to find, I'm going to ring every bit of this scene I'm painting, and they'll, I'm going to show it all to you. And I really love that about the way that you write or, you know, speak on the um, on the cassette. And feel free to say, oh, I don't think that resonates with me at all. But that's my impression, at least, of your writing. And it's kind of tied back to that period. No, I mean, actually, that's, I mean, that kind of is definitely how I write. And I mean, I try, you know, I have written short poems. I do, you know, sometimes they, but, um, I, you know, I try to pare down <laughs> more than I, like, more than I, um, than I sometimes succeed in. Uh, <laughs> it, I, I, I struggle to write, like, the, occasionally a really short poem will just like sort of come to me and it just is what it is. And I don't need to add any more or, you know, do anything with it. But, um, most of the time I just sort of, I mean, with prose and poetry, honestly, I, I put everything in and then I do, <laughs> you, I do actually take things out. I mean, even the, the pieces that seem like they have everything in there are still not as, as long as they, <laughs> As they originally were, because you know. Um, yeah, I don't mean to suggest that you're not like a careful writer or an or that you don't edit your work or something. Oh, I just I, I meant I that more kind of tonally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. I do actually. Um. Just try to pack everything in there. That's sort of just the um. You know the way that I that I write, and it's the way that I talk. I mean, as you've noticed, I go on all these tangents and. <laughs> I just, um, I actually had a, a, a friend once who I was telling him some a story about something that had happened to me and I kept, you know, you know, going on like little side tangents and backstories and like describing every little detail of the scene just as I was, you know, talking to him. It wasn't for you know, obviously a spoken word piece or anything. It was just me talking to a friend. And I, I stopped myself like partway through when I realized I wasn't even close to getting to the actual point of the story <laughs> and apologize. And, and it, he was just laughing and he said, no, 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 it's fine. He's like, I enjoy listening to you talk. He said, it's just that you and I have a different way of telling stories. He said, I tell stories like Bukowski. You tell stories like Kerouac. <laughs> so, you know, meaning that he was very terse and to the point with his stuff. And I just went on forever and included everything. So, yeah, that is definitely how I write and how I think and speak, I guess. <laughs> and another thing I like about that idea of inclusion, uh, you know, just put it all in is because you do another thing that at least to me is very uncommon these days and that I really I really love which is that you are very much a writer of the place you're in and I 
I have this mentor figure, this um, guy named Alan Kasline, um, who goes by Bird and uh, who lives in the Albany, New York area, though he would object to that because he lives in an actually smaller, like, eco region of it that he prefers. But anyway, <laughs> um, but his his whole thing was that he was essentially focusing his entire career. And I I think he's probably 15 years older than me, so he's probably in his 60s, um, his entire career on this kind of poetic documentation of this very specific region that he's in. And I really loved that. And I've just moved too many times to ever be that person. But it's something about your work I I really dig. Because I think if most people thought, like, if you just mentioned Racine, Wisconsin to people, first of all, I know literally nothing about it that I don't know from your poems. Uh, I have I'd heard of it before I heard of you, of course, because it's you know large enough that it creeps up into the consciousness. But everything I now know about it, I've only learned from your work. That's other than its name. And I love the idea that a poet can be enough from a place or writing about a place that I actually could learn about a place that way. You know, even if I'm just getting, you know, the Jesse Lynn McMain's guide to Racine, I really love that I am able to get that from your work. So I'm I'm curious about that about, you know, your you don't only write about Wisconsin and your town in Wisconsin, but you do write a lot about the the region that you're in, which I I'm I'm just curious if that's a a really conscious thing or just because that's where you are, so you um, write about it. I mean, kind of both. I no, and I definitely. I, I was going to say, you know, I I do write about other places because I have lived other places. Um, I'm actually the stuff I'm writing now. Um, you know, because for years a lot of what I wrote on and and I I I would say not just Racine, but like really southeastern Wisconsin, um, because Kenosha is included in that too. And I write. I've probably written more about Kenosha than Racine, despite having never lived there. That's a a tangent, um, just a brief one, that I I've, I started spending a lot of time in Kenosha as a teenager, and most of my friends in this area, actually, you know, a lot of them still live there. So that's kind of my, they're kind of both my hometown in a, in a strange way. Um, but I wasn't actually, like, born uh, in Racine, uh, didn't live here till I was almost 11. Um, and then, you know, lived here till I was 18, moved away for quite a number of years and then came back here, uh, almost 10 years ago, right before my oldest kid was born. Um, but, uh, the stuff I'm writing recently, um, you know, that hasn't, been published yet just stuff i'm working on um is i'm focusing on the places i lived as a child before uh racine so i'm writing about michigan and about pennsylvania um which i mean have appeared in my writing before because i've spent time in them even after i moved away um and i also lived in california for a while i mean when as an adult um yeah, and Chicago was a huge part of my life as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've so I've lived I lived in Racine for eight years, you know, as a kid and teenager. Moved away, like I said, for um, well over a decade, and then moved back here a decade ago. Uh, 
And I guess I, when I first moved back here, I spent a number of years like feeling like I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't sure why I'd moved back other than to be close to my parents since I was having a child. Um, I was still having this mindset that I had, that I had as a teenager, which was like, anywhere is better than here. Nothing happens here. Nothing. I don't like this place. I started romanticizing it to sort of make it seem better for myself to be here. And then (laughs) that actually ended up becoming me actually liking living in this area. So (laughs) (laughs) it worked. Yeah. In addition to uh, appearing on on other people's labels and in other people's presses, you um, are also the the owner and editor of Bone and Ink Press. Tell me about that. Um, yeah, I started the the press. Let's see, a little over four years ago now. The first releases were just uh, handbound chapbooks. Um, they would one of um, you know more like zines uh, esque things. One was the first, the very first one was uh, was a split between me and another poet, a split chapbook, and then the second one was just like a little short one um, that I wrote on my own. And then I started, uh, well, a year a year later, I started opening it up to submissions, and you know, start started trying to like legitimately um, publish other people and be you know a legitimate if small press um i you know i've always like published other people's work on and off in zines and and whatnot and actually since i was about 15 or 16 i've always kind of had the dream of starting you know my own small publishing company and that was you know i think half due to um you know lawrence ferlinghetti and city lights and half due to Henry Rollins uh, back when he used to do two thirteen sixty one. So <laughs> I like publishing other people almost as much as I, you know, like doing my own writing. <laughs> There's a great sense of satisfaction I get, like being able to help someone else's words get out into the world. As we uh, kind of draw to a close, I want to talk about one thing that I, I really think is cool about, well, I was going to say the the kind of current scene in, you know, like indie publishing, but I don't actually even know that it is widespread enough to refer to it that way, nor do I know that it's only current. So I will just say that a thing I like at the moment is that labels like Hello America and then also, you know, people like you yourself are releasing things in both print and audio format. And often the audio is not just you know, the person reading, but there's music behind it. And so I'm thinking in particular of um, your recent zine, uh, No Man Born with a Living Soul, which um, also has uh, an, an audio version as well, which I just, I really dig. I like, I like kind of everything about that. I, I like both being able to see the thing on the page, but I also like the interpretation that comes from, uh, you know, hearing these things. And it seems like an exciting way uh, to be releasing work. Does it feel that way to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of the reason I've been doing more of these audio releases lately is because, you know, what with the uh, pandemic, you know, for the last 
really, it's been a year and a half now since I've done any kind of live, you know, spoken word or, or music, any kind of performance. Part of it just stems from, I was really missing just like performing. So I figure, well, at least I can do it on record and, uh, and make something that way. I mean, I just think it's fun. I, you know, uh, I did the zine that way because I was envisioning the zine as sort of like a, a text version of a seven inch, um, hence the sleeve and everything it comes in. And I thought, well, it'd be cool to actually be able to hear the poem since it is kind of inspired by the, the seven inch single idea. And that's why I recorded the audio version and with, with hello America. And, you know, it's a way to sort of bring literature in, to people that wouldn't normally necessarily be into spoken word, you know, it, 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 these aren't like your typical, I mean, and it's not, they're not even audiobooks per se, you know, they're, um, I mean, they are, but they're not like just someone reading, like you said, there's music or, or not always, but they feel it, more like cool. albums than audiobooks. Yeah. And that's how I approached mine too. Like I was thinking of it like an album, even the tracks that don't have, music you know i was not thinking i'm recording an audiobook you know <laughs> but it's just fun to have you know different formats and different ways for people to be introduced to stuff that i guess they might not otherwise check out my guest for uh, this return episode of a brief chat has been jesse lynn mcmains uh they recently released self-portrait with ghosts and trains on hello america stereo cassette they're the writer and residence of uh, racine wisconsin jesse has so much stuff going on but i'll just say a few before we close um wisconsin death trip is a, a really cool chat book that you should check out uh as i just mentioned no man born a zine that also has an audio component uh they have a nonfiction collection called what we talk about when we talk about punk and the fact that we barely talked about punk music in this interview is a sign of how much we're going to need to do this again at some point but you know the the clock is a a harsh mistress there's a full-length poetry collection uh, by jesse called the loneliest show on earth and you'll find show notes uh, in the show notes links to things like recklesschance.net um jesse's uh site and also to bone and ink press and links to other Hello America things that Jesse has done. Uh, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And uh, I really do hope you'll come back because I feel like we could do several of these episodes and still feel like we've only just scratched the surface. So thanks for being here, Jesse. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you.